All right, everyone, it's great to see you, uh, Garden City Church and Quicksilver Church. Uh, we are not used to this having the shade, so I'm a little little colder than normal up here. Um, if, if I haven't met you, my name is Justin Buzzard, uh, lead pastor of Garden City Church. Uh, that is, I know the volume's a little low. Uh, that's my wife, Taylor, over there, my three sons over there, crew, Hudson and Gus, and uh, one of the things that we are celebrating today is uh, one year ago, uh, Garden City Church gathered in a, in a different park, uh, and we sent out a bunch of you to form this new church, Quicksilver Church. So uh, now, Quicksilver Church, happy birthday. You guys are a year old. Yeah, awesome. I'm proud of you, proud of Fred Mock, uh, your pastor, former Garden City uh, staff pastor and proud of your church family. This is great. Fun to be here in this location. Uh, 11 years ago, just over 11 years ago, actually, at this park, I was here with my wife. Uh, she was very, very pregnant with our youngest son, Gus, uh, about to have him. And we, are all, we were also pregnant with this idea of planting a church here in the South Bay that would help be part of planting other churches throughout the South Bay. And we were so excited and we were so stressed out and so scared and had no idea how it was all going to happen and 11 years later to be back in this park and my son Gus is now uh, almost 11 and now there's two church families here and there'll be more church families to come as both of our churches uh, plant churches is uh, is thrilling one verse that we held on to as a family and as a church in those early days was this one sentence from Jesus Jesus says uh, in the gospel of Matthew he says I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we, we clung on to that when we were like, no people and no money and trying to make this happen and afraid. Uh, Jesus has built his church. The gates of hell don't prevail against it. A virus does not prevail against it. The transience of this area, that's a difficult thing that we both experience in our church families, does not prevail against it. Sin does not prevail against it. Uh, so Quicksilver Church, uh, I'm so proud of you being a year old keep doing what you are doing garden city church i'm so proud of you being almost 11 years old uh, we can continue to cling to this sentence from jesus that uh, he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he is with us uh, he is worth it all as we want to share the message of abundant life in him with our city and he is at work and can be trusted uh, we are going to have Pastor Fred Mock uh, give the sermon today. Uh, I haven't heard this man preach in years, so I'm excited. Uh, Fred, come on up. Okay, let me let me first just lower this mic. There we go. All right. So, if you haven't had a chance, there are these brochures. Um, about Acts 29 church planting. And I wanted to um, bring your attention. They're over at the Connect table. I want you to have a chance to check them out because we're supposed to do a church planting Sunday and we didn't get a chance to um, fully advertise that. And since today is about church planting and we're demonstrating that, grab one of those brochures and check out how our Acts 29 network is committed to planting churches. Okay? So I want to start that off. And then today I want to discuss this idea of gospel clarity. Okay? gospel clarity and how that relates to church planting, okay? Gospel clarity and church planting. And I want to begin with a story 
um, the last eight days or so, seven days, um, I was in Montana at Glacier National Park with uh, my brother and some high school friends. And as we were driving into the park, we noticed at Columbia Falls, there was this, uh, uh, as you're driving in, this uh, massive, it almost looks like a drive-in, it looks like a drive-in where you have these massive screens all around, about 20, 25 screens, but they weren't actually screens, um, they were billboards. And on each of these billboards, what these billboards said was, they had the Ten Commandments all laid out, each, each billboard had one, one of the commandments, and then it also had quotations from each of the presidents. And it was about as over the top as you can imagine, like completely in your face. And the first uh, emotion that I felt as I was seeing it is just a little bit of a discomfort because it was so overt and so over the top. And um, some of the friends I was, I, were, I was with, we were not, they're not Christians, um, and they just started to make comments about it. And there's just this kind of tremendous um, discomfort I felt about this. And the question that kind of came up in my head was, is this the best way to communicate the gospel? Is this the best way to speak clearly about the gospel? And of course, my first instinct was like, no, there's got to be, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. But I don't, but I, at that time, I was like, I'm not exactly sure what it is. So as we get into this passage that we're looking at today, what I want us to consider is, what's the best way to declare the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ? What's the best way to do that? Okay, and so if you can turn with me, we've been going through that. We just finished the book of Colossians at Quicksilver. If you can turn with me in the book of Colossians. And we're going to be looking, reading from chapter 4. So when you look at Colossians 4, this is what it says. I'm going to read verse 2 through 6, okay? Colossians 4, chapter, uh, verse 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ and on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's the scripture reading. And so what I'd, like to, what I'd like to do is talk about first a definition of what clarity looks like. What is a definition of clarity? And so the definition that I'm going to give you is that gospel clarity is about removing obstructions to presenting the sufficiency of Christ to a particular group of people. Okay? That gospel clarity is about removing obstructions to presenting the sufficiency of Christ to a particular group of people. And so with that, let me give you some context to the book of Colossians. What the Apostle Paul is doing in writing to the church at Colossae, which is a city, is he is imploring them 
to be careful about a heresy. He's trying to combat a heresy. And the problem with, uh, with reading this letter is you don't get to see the report. It's like reading, it's like listening to a telephone, right, to a game telephone, where you're only going to get one side of the conversation. Because Paul has never been to this city. He's never visited Colossae. He doesn't know what this church is about. And yet he's heard a report from Epaphras. Now Epaphras likely became a convert, likely became a Christian in Ephesus through Paul. And now after being in um, Colossae, Epaphras has given a report to Paul. And, and Epaphras is reporting, and you, you hear him in chapter 1 and the, at the end of the book, explaining to Paul what's going on. But we don't get to see that letter. And so when you piece it together, when you look at what he's focusing on, by the way, the word heresy, what I would call that, it's a false belief that significantly undermines a broader belief system that it claims to be part of. Okay? It's a false belief that undermines a belief system that it claims to be part of. And so what, it's like a scientist believing in a flat earth. Okay? It's inconsistent. It doesn't go together. Okay? And so the false teaching that the church in Colossae was believing was that Jesus was not fully human. Okay? He was a spirit being and not fully supreme. And that had all kinds of implications in the way the, tr the Christians in Colossae lived. In fact, one of the things that's emphasized against that Paul talks about is against uh, talking about fasting, talking about different forms of abstinence, because the way they believed it, and this is, a, this is kind of a religion called Gnosticism, is that you're, in a sense, saved by denying yourself of physical things. Okay? And that's what they were wrestling with. That's the heresy. And so what Paul is trying to do in this letter is to show the sufficiency of Jesus that he's not only the God of everything invisible, but that Jesus is also the God of what's visible. So not only the things that you don't see, but he's God of everything that you do see. And that's the claim that he's making. And the obstruction then is that when there is something blocking your view of Jesus, it makes him smaller. And that's my first point, that gospel clarity means removing obstructions. And again, I just want to give an example of being in Montana. We rented a vehicle, and my brother was driving, um, and I was sitting behind him. There's three of us in the back row. And my brother, the way he sits in his seat, in, his, in the driver's seat, is he reclines it fully back. He, he, he's almost like lying down, and he loved to do that. He's like lying down in his seat, like when he's just, he just sits. And that's just the way he drives. And I'm sitting directly behind him, and the only thing I can see is the headrest, okay? It's his headrest in front of my face. And so at one point while he was driving, a black bear crossed the road in front of us, right in front of us. And there was a whole bunch of excitement in our car. I did not see anything. <laughs> I didn't see the black bear at all because there was a headrest obstructing my view, okay? And so the, the key here is the only way you're going to be able to see clearly is if you remove an obstruction, okay? You need to be able to remove the obstruction. And that's what we asked. That's what I asked my brother to eventually do, but you need to be able to see clearly. And so as you get into this passage, let's first look at verse 2 here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, oftentimes we talk about the fact of prayer, but we don't talk about the substance or the how of it. And in this case, what it means to be steadfast in prayer is to be watchful, is to be alert. Because the church at Colossae was dealing with a heresy, okay? With, the, with the something that's undermined their belief system. And the solution, the remedy for that 
is to be able to say, hey, you know what? I want you to be alert, and I want you to be aware in how you pray. And then Paul does something genius there, because he's not only telling the church at Colossae to do that, the Christians to do that, he also applies this to himself. He's saying, not only do you pray with watchfulness, but I want you also to pray for me, Paul. And he says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay, so what Paul is saying is he wants, he's asking for prayer that an obstruction might be removed to be able to proclaim the mystery of, of Christ because a door is a blockage. A door is an obstruction. And Paul, by the way, as he's writing this letter, is in prison. And it's by design, actually. He knew this was going to happen because he wants the word of God to go forth. And so then the question is, how do you declare a mystery? If it's a mystery, how do you make it understood? Well, you're going to have to look back a little bit and, and recognize that not that the definition of certain words in the Bible may differ from how we understand it as modern Westerners. So if you look back to chapter 1, you get, you get um, a better understanding of what mystery means. So in chapter 1, verse 24, this is what it says. This is Paul speaking. Now, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his, of his body, that is the church. Now, it makes it sound like Christ's afflictions were lacking, but I think you're going to understand what it means. There is a certain suffering for the Gentiles that Paul is leading up to. And then in 25, it says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And then 26 says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that is Paul's mission. His mission is to reach people who have not been reached, non-Jewish people. Okay, Gentiles are those who are not Jewish. That's Paul's mission in reaching. That's his calling. And so when he says that he hasn't reached the, the that there's a lacking in Christ's afflictions, Christ primarily suffered on behalf of his own people, on behalf of the Jews. And yet what Paul is saying here, I'm going to suffer to be able to reach the Gentiles. The mystery I'm going to claim here, and this mystery isn't something that can be completely unknown. It's previously been hidden and now is being disclosed. And that mystery is the sufficiency of Christ, not only for one particular group of people, but for all people, for every people. That's Paul's mission. And so that's why he declares the sufficiency of Jesus in everything that we eat because throughout this letter, Paul's addressing that a lot of the heresy in the Colossae was restrictions on diet. And Paul's saying, you can eat whatever you want, and you can worship on any day that you want, and you can worship wherever you want, because Christ is reaching every person. And part of this heresy was also becoming more like the Jews by being circumcised. And, and, and Paul's like, that's an obstruction. That's going to block your view of Jesus. You're going to make him smaller by doing that, because Christ is expansive. And what, what Paul says in chapter 1 is that every earthly authority, every ruler, every nation, and if it were today, every multinational corporation, including Apple and Google, reports ultimately to Christ and points to him. 
And that's the sufficiency of him, of Jesus. And he's not only sufficient in terms of the body because he came in the flesh, he's also sufficient in terms of relationships, that every earthly authority ultimately points back to him so that when we relate to one another, we are not just relating to human beings, we are relating to Christ himself. And that is how supreme and how awesome Jesus is. And this is the mystery that is being declared. So as we continue into verse 5, where it's about presenting the sufficiency of Jesus, how then does this relate to church planting? Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now Paul has started, or, or switched back to, and he's talked about his mission to reach Gentiles. And if you follow his logic here, he's going back and forth between himself and between the people, the people in the church of Colossae. And so I want you to think about when it says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that it's not meant to be addressed isolated. He's saying, look, we have the same mission to declare the mystery of Jesus, to de declare the mystery of Christ to everyone around us, including and especially those who don't know him and those who are not Jewish. So what Paul is saying here is it's not just his mission to reach Gentiles. It's also your mission. So when it says walk in wisdom towards outsiders, he's talking about walk in wisdom and declaring the mystery of Christ because we are aligned in the same purpose. And when it says let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, salt is different. It adds flavor. It makes something tasty. He's saying the way that you speak should point to Jesus and declare the mystery of Christ. That's the context that Paul is speaking. The way that you speak to people should be different. And, the, and it's, it's going to be unique to the group of people, to the person that you are talking to. That's where you need wisdom. And that's why gospel clarity and church planting go together. Because the reason Quicksilver Church exists it's because we need to remove obstructions so that a particular group of people can hear the gospel clearly. Because for each one of you, in all of your relationships, you are trying to present the gospel clearly and remove people's obstruction from hearing it. But here's the thing, most of you don't. Most of you are afraid to even let your coworkers know that you're a Christian. Many of you are afraid of rejection, of being in a park and singing out loud. I mean, and I know where you, now, now Quicksilver Church is used to doing it. But most of you are afraid. And I, it's easy to poke fun at the Ten Commandment part. And I went and talked to Pastor Scott, who, who kind of led that ministry. And they have a very specific vision. They want billboards in all 6,000 counties all over the country. And they're committed to that. And it's gaudy and it's over the top. But this is what these Christians have decided is the best way to communicate the gospel. This is the way they are declaring the mystery of Christ. And for most of us, we just, we don't want to do anything. Because we're afraid of that rejection. And you know what? I'm not immune to that. In fact, I've been thinking about this idea of gospel clarity and church planting for ten, ten, about ten, over ten years now. And I have been afraid. I have been desperately afraid. And two years ago, I remember almost to the day, 
Justin was preaching from the book of Daniel. We were in a series in Daniel. He was just starting the series. And up to that point, um, as, a, as a pastor at Garden City, I had been, there was conversation about either planting a church or starting a campus. And there was discussion about who would do it. Who would, we, who would be sent out to do this? And no one was really, was necessarily looking at me, but I felt like it. I felt like everyone was looking at me like, Fred, are you going to step, are you going to raise your hand? And I was listening to Justin preach from Daniel and talking about Daniel's courage in standing up to King Nebuchadnezzar and the statue of gold. And he kept talking about risk. And up to that point, especially as a pastor, it's easy to think, okay, you know, Justin, he's preaching to everyone else. This is fantastic. I just, I'm just going to listen, but I'm going to listen for other people. And it occurred to me that maybe God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking through Justin to me. And the obstruction that is blocking me from recognizing the sufficiency of Christ is my fear of failure. My fear of crashing and burning. Because I fear the humiliation of failure. I've, I grew up here in Silicon Valley. Um, I worked for IBM for nine years. You know, a lot of my background is around overachievement. And for me, success and failure is everything. It's everything in terms of my, the view of my worth and my value and how I fit in and how I belong. And at that point, I just, I realized, I was like, Jesus, if you are sufficient, then success or failure are irrelevant because you have won the victory on my behalf. Because my worth and value come from you. Success and failure are completely irrelevant. They do not matter. I actually cannot fail. And I raised my, I raised my hand and there was a proposal that was set up for me. And, and frankly, I couldn't imagine a better scenario to be able to plant a church. And I'm grateful, tremendously grateful to Justin, the elders, and all of you for your support in launching Quicksilver so that we could make the gospel clear and remove obstructions from people hearing the gospel. And let me give you like a quick plug about what we're after. The obstructions that I view people experiencing today from hearing the gospel are the, silence, the silencing of questions and curiosity and an emphasis on certainty. Okay. And those don't have to be obstacles, but those are the obstacles that I perceive in Christendom where questions are silenced and we have to be certain. We have to have this absoluteness and binary thinking in the way that we approach the gospel. And I view those as obstructions to how we see the sufficiency of Christ. That's not going to be everyone's answer, and that's okay. Because the purpose of the gospel is to be clear for a particular group of people. That's why church planting exists. We are a group of people that are looking to remove obstructions so that the sufficiency of Christ would be made known. And so my question for you today, what is blocking your view of the sufficiency of Jesus? Because his spirit is working in you to remove those obstructions so that you could clearly perceive him. And he wants to overcome that fear of rejection. By the way, the fear of failure sits with me and continues with me to this day. And each day and each moment, I am praying to the spirit of God and claiming who I am in Christ to overcome that fear of failure. And I am praying that you can overcome the fears that obstruct your view of Jesus today as well. And pray for me. Let's pray together. 
Father God, thank you that Jesus, you are completely and fully sufficient for us. You are sufficient because you are fully man and fully God. You are a spirit being and you are a flesh being. And you are king over all that is visible and invisible. And so, Lord, as we confront our fears today of rejection, of failure, would you remove those obstructions from us clearly seeing and perceiving you? And that we might be communities, Garden City Church and Quicksilver Church, of removing obstructions and declaring your mystery to particular groups of people. In your precious name we pray. Amen.